you bring us into a deep and specific inquiry. And I want to say rigorous. So there is great clarity as well. And when we have one specific example where we've gone deep, and then we look at the parallel developments that are co-arising, we can appreciate the commonality and the distinctions much more vividly than if we stayed at the uh, more surface level of the whole panoply of uh, co-arising projects. So I'm getting so much by going deep with you. And then when I go into other aspects of my work, it's empowering to have these, uh, these common points of clarity and rujams, as it were. Throughout history, the great questions have been asked and great research has been undertaken, always expanding the territory of the known by shining a light into the unknown. Where is that cutting edge today? And can a community of people from all over the world, each carrying their own unique journey of discovery, come together to inquire at the edge of purposeful evolution through conversation? At Portals of Perception, we think it is possible, and we hope that you will choose to be a part of this exploration. In this episode, we look at the changes that are underway all around the world and examine the idea that these problems require our higher capabilities and talents. If we are to solve very complex problems, we will need to make nonlinear exponential leaps. And to make nonlinear exponential leaps, we will need to individually and collectively engage the unconscious. It is there where the answers and the solutions and the innovations for individual, collective, and global problems are latent. Join Aviv Shahar and Jeff Vanderklute for Leading from the Unconscious. This episode has discussions about charts that are available on the website portalsofperception.org. This one is called Mapping Strategies and Technologies of Working with Different Levels of the Unconscious. This is, uh, once again, Jeff and Aviv in conversation at the frontiers of emergence. How about that as a way to uh, begin today, Jeff? I love it. And I love that the title has now emerged. (laughs) Seems everything must emerge if it's going to be at the frontiers of emergence. Where would you like us to go today? Well, I'm aware that you have been in a deep experience, a collective experience with perhaps 200 or more people uh, the last few days, that today is indeed a recovery day for you, and yet you very graciously made yourself available to share about the experience and to offer some insights while they are completely fresh. And I understand, moreover, that this is, in fact, the first conversation you've had about uh, the last few days. So thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this, and I imagine a lot of people will appreciate uh, your perspectives, and uh, particularly given how absolutely on the leading edge it is. Well, thank you. The kindness and the generosity is, is yours. And we do have, I believe, a shared appreciation at coming out of an intense experience 
when you are somewhat beginning the contraction from the accentuated potency, multidimensional nature of an experience when you are in the contraction phase, actually what you codify and what you etch in your memory is important. It's part of the technology we ought to be using when we go up our bar and come down. And I've appreciated tremendously that we have had this practice now for the last few months that you and I meet on Monday morning. I'm still in recovery, but I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be reflective and to see what would the in-the-moment distillation of the experience bring forward. And it serves as a technology. I was talking this weekend about the perception shutdown syndrome. And in the context of that, I first explained the mechanics of a perception shutdown. I didn't know we, I was going to go there, but there you go, we're going live. So I explained the nature of the perception shutdown syndrome. And if it is of interest, I, I can say something about it. And then I framed a sevenfold strategy, just a beginner, beginning set of strategies, how to either escape or release or not be so impacted by the perception shutdown syndrome. So how about I, I first, I, I give the medicine, then I explain the problem. The reason I connected to it now is because one of the steps was create for yourself when you're still in the presence of the experience that brought up in you profound insight, realization, perception, profound sentiment, a sense of significance. Etch in your memory some of the significance and the intention that it produces in you and do so by creating, therefore, what I call mental and psycho-spiritual rujums. Rujum, what is a rujum? I think it's an Arabic word. When you walk in the desert, as I have often walked in the deserts in the Holy Land in Israel, especially the Sinai Desert, even though some will claim that's not part of the Holy Land, that's, I leave that for the biblical scholars. That's where we claim Moses traveled with the Israelites for 40 years. Sometime when you go there on a, and I climb there, presumably the, the mountain, that the different ways to describe, but there is one mountain on his name, which is not the biblical mountain where he, he supposedly have gone up to uh, carve the, the Ten Commandments or receive the transmission of the Ten Commandments from the intelligence and the angelic presence that guided him to offer a code of conduct to liberate, in this case, the Israelites, but to really bring to humanity a certain um, transitional operating system to enable a collective of people to move from being less barbaric and more released into the sapient potential of their nature, which is one way to think about the Ten Commandments. And so, when you, anywhere, when you walk, when you hike in the desert, when you come to plateaus, the Bedouins who mark the trail, what they do, and they are not just the only people to do so. You walk in different places around the world and you see the trail marks by putting few stones on top of the other. So you know where the trail goes next, especially when you come to a place and you may come to a point in the trail where it turns. 
and but there is a path that goes forward and you're not sure where, where to go next and you need to find the rujum, the two or three or four stones on top of the other. The metaphor was we have the capacity when we travel up and down in our own formation and in our own um, map of meaning and the etchings that we create inside the topography of meaning that we have, we can put rujums along the journey such that if we get lost, we can mentally travel back. So I mean that mentally and psycho-spiritually. You and I can now talk for half an hour about how we do that, but I'm just mentioning that you do some of the, some of the prayer and meditation technologies that we use, they can develop such markers that you can travel to and they can be purely mental. They can involve also a movement of sort or a particular sacred dance practice or anything else that will bring a kinetic reference that will connect the unconscious and the conscious with a certain intentions. So I say that because we're dialoguing on the contraction day when I, I'm in also a recovery process when all of the three days are still floating in my space. And I find even in what is appearing now, the tremendous value to the ecology that you are able to provide with your in-depth interest and curiosity and the, the conductive space that you create in our dialogue that enables both of us and enables me to access some of it and to thereby also etch it in my memory once more and also have a recorded version of that so we can trace it if we need to. So that, that's just recognizing the, the gift of the moment. Thank you. I love the inner root gems and appreciate the, the inner trails that we are trailblazing when we are on the frontiers of emergence, as you have been this last weekend. Yeah, where the core premise is that, so where will it be useful to start? Shall I try to offer just a high overview, not so much of the content, but the process nature of what is converging in a moment and what I therefore anticipate, I'm anticipating is appearing and arising with different communities all around the world at this time, each in a slightly different way, perhaps with different uh, frameworks and maps of meaning, but perhaps more alike than not, more in parallel than not, if and when we are prepared to step back and see parallel endeavors from the 20K or the 30K point of view. There is tremendous importance in actually building distinctions and not homogenizing, if there is such a word. If not, I just made it up. <laughs> and seeing the distinctions of the unique contributions that any line and any body of work and any endeavor brings. And at the same time, the, there is value in looking to decipher the open source elements that can be harvested in different endeavors. And I find that that's one of the unique contributions that you are able to bring to dialogue here in that you are helping me, helping both of us, look to discern and um, decode what of, say, what I'm going through can be 
sourced, can be offered into the, the open source of all developmental, evolutionary inclined community endeavors anywhere. And it's in, when we bring that sentiment and that orientation, mental and process alignment, in a way we offer it as, as a service, as a, as a gift, as, as a, something we proffer for others, which is part of the idea of portals of perception. Yes, yes. I love that you bring us into a deep and specific inquiry. And I want to say rigorous. So there is great clarity as well. And when we have one specific example where we've gone deep, and then we look at the parallel developments that are co-arising, we can appreciate the commonality and the distinctions much more vividly than if we stayed at the uh, more surface level of the whole panoply of uh, co-arising projects. So I'm getting so much by going deep with you. And then when I go into other aspects of my work, it's empowering uh, to have these, uh, these common points of clarity and rujams, as it were. Yes. So there, there is value and importance and significance in both moves, the, the going deep. Sometimes we will call it going vertical. Sometimes we will call it going laser-like forensic to appreciate the anatomy and the inner workings of a certain discipline or a certain practice or a certain map of meaning. And then there is value in soaring high to be all-encompassing, to see whatever it is you're engaged in inside an even broader, inclusive picture. And there is always a bigger picture we can soar to. And once we soared into a very big picture, we think that is the... The meta, meta, meta picture, guess what? There is another greater picture to contain that too. So shall I try and frame five natures that I detected and observed in this process? Yes, let's go with that. That intuitively resonates for me. Nature one is recognizing that we are all participants in a rolling event, a rolling planetary event. In many ways, the last four years, the last 12 years, the last 20 years, the last 40 years, the last 60 years, culminating now in a rolling event. This event, as you have observed yourself in your writings about the different waves of change, it, has a, it seems to have a geopolitical dimension, an economic dimension, certainly the dimension of a, the pandemic and the behavioral change that it brought to all of our lives, we are also interested to very much recognize that it has a um, metaphysical, psychoenergetic dimension. We see it in how nature came back because we were not there to hustle nature so much because we were staying locked at home. But we also mean that in the sense of the deepest, most profound changes that are occurring with people that are inquiring to the significance of this time beyond the level of the pandemic and the economic and the geopolitical. So there is a registration that this decade or multi-decade process that we have entered, call it phase shift, call it the cataclysmic 
transformation, age, whatever way you will choose to name it, there is a recognition that we are in a rolling event. And therefore, why it becomes critical when we come together as communities, it says that learning becomes, we learn so much when we are together, but the learning is almost a secondary nature, a secondary principle. The first principle is actually to be inside the nature of the event as it unfolds, because there is an emergent property that is much more interior, interior as in the individual sense, and interior in the communal gathering sense. And so we learn a lot when we come together, but this is not, quote-unquote, a learning gathering. It's a gathering to be at the cutting edge of what is emerging with us at the moment and allow and accept and embrace the learning that it offers us. So there is a reversal where, as I would often be with groups and gatherings and communities, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you could say these were more learning-inclined gatherings. We are now in the unfolding of discovery in which learning is a byproduct rather than the premise or the focus of the gathering. And uh, the second nature, what enables that critically is that even though there are many very different people that come together, there are some shared sentiments, deep and profound shared sentiments that allow us to come together to be in a shared inquiry, mutual respect, reverence to the phenomenon of life and the diversity of life on this beautiful sacred planet we call Earth and the care for the continuance of all life, the generosity and the kindness of spirit, the recognition that there is something profound and high in potential with every every human being, and that therefore continually we're invited to practice that call to attention. Beware of the person you dismiss, because the person you dismiss is part of you. And the person you dismiss, if you recognize that we are climbing up a mountain by in metaphoric terms or in real terms, every person may be the helper you need the next minute because you never know when you are going to suffer altitude sickness. So the richness of sentiments, that even if we have people that disagree on many different political point of views and other elements in terms of the map of meanings, not everybody needs to agree with everything, not at all, but the sense that when communities and people gather together to inquire deeply. Part of the operating system that enables that is an interesting ambidextrous, and I I started making up a new word, multidextrous, because I recognized we were not just integrating two opposites, we were integrating multi-perspectives in one, but particularly this idea of being irreverent in the courage of your inquiry while you're able to, at the same time, hold dear with a sense of preciousness and reverence, the fact that human beings can be together in a shared inquiry. That's significance. So second nature, first nature rolling event, second nature, that sense of shared sentiments that we can together discover when we embark on a shared inquiry. And as a result of it, third nature is that there is always the prospect of becoming a collective agency where the inquiry and the wisdom and intelligence we're seeking 
will reveal its multifaceted nature through different voices. And one person will offer the theological insight that arose with them, and another will offer the phenomenology of that experience, and a third person will offer the melodic, and a fourth person will offer the poetry, and a fifth person will draw this into a picture. And the recognition that we are forever needing now, media much more diversified and rich than what any one person may be able to codify in language, and that we therefore need to surround ourselves with different talents and skills and capabilities, and that we are forever in search for the ways, the means, the protocols, the behavioral sciences that will offer inclusion and will allow us to still be dialytic inside the inclusion. So not, it's not that everything that everybody offers, immediately you have to say yes to it. There is a refinement and an inquiry and a search and a gentle resistance that can be offered as well. So actually building safety and ease with a collective to do so is by itself an extraordinary endeavor. It can only begin when we recognize that we have passed the point of a solo, largely, of a solo luminary. What we need, even if you have a a leader of a process, in this case, I'm leading the process, and I may be offering a framework, and I am possibly am sharpening the process, because we are gathering with others, there is first of all so much more that I can get to, because the, the container holds more that allows me and everybody else to access. And then there are insights and revelations. We can call those revelations when somebody skate, as, as you and I speak of it, to the edge of what they know, and they're able to codify in language something. It's a revelation for them and may become a revelatory input to the process as a whole. The fourth nature is, a, is the nature of activation. There are people who have been in various development circles and endeavors maybe for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. And the recognition that all that you see in your life and on your journey, sometimes through pain, through hardship, through dedication, because of that, this nature of a rolling event, it's being activated. Capacities that were latent are being activated. Perceptions that were latent are being activated. Understandings that we have had intellectually or, or mentally are being activated to become fully embodied realizations. Perceptions and appreciations that were upheld in a narrow range in one octave of yourself are released to the three or four or five or seven octaves of your process awareness. All these and more in terms of the nature of activations. That's why the, these processes are so multifaceted and rich in nature because we have different activations occur. And the fifth element, therefore, is especially the activation of the gradient of levels. And that's a very important element because you and I have spoken a little bit about how part of the conundrum and the, the story of the last 60 years of transformational developmental endeavors you, that you can trace in part to the hippie movement they wanted to break away from the past and they wanted to break away from the what they read as oppressive 
hierarchical structures of the traditional memes, and they wanted to break out of it more than they wanted to break into next new emergent future. Part of what we experienced over the last 60 years was the loss of naturally arising gradients and levels of development and growth. This insight specifically I attribute to Ken Wilber and, and his work and the distinction between dominating holarchies and naturally arising growth ladders. I adapted it to my language and to my framework, but it deserves an attribution in recognizing that distinction. What I observe is that part of what we have seen in the in my language, Jeff, below the line, pathological expression of that is the drive to plateau everything, to view the world as a one pancake society model, instead of actually recognizing that the gift of coming together with others is that we're surrounded with people that bring talents and developments that we don't have. So therefore, when we walk into the kitchen to cook a special meal, few people will emerge as the natural leaders because they will lead us with the know-how there. And when we then go out of the kitchen into the choir room, we will have different leaders who are not only musically gifted, but would know how to lead a group of people through to find the natural harmonies. And when we then step out to the garden to build a special uh, ecology where a person would be able to find a special spot in the garden to be enhanced by the ecology, we will have new leaders again. And when we then move to work with a group of 9 to 10 to 11-year-olds, we will have new leaders again. And in the same way as I'm pointing at different fields of expression, we could also talk about how there are those that would lead with the grasp, the comprehension, the, the, the map of meaning of describing models and their application. There are those that are more advanced on the line of development where it's to do with practices of self-alignment practices, self-printing practices, meditative and devotional practices. And there are those that will lead when we come to other forms of expressions. So the false premise of taking away the naturally arising levels of proficiency and development because of the historic legacy fear and anxiety that so much historically that was associated with hierarchy indeed represented the culprit of injurious social and cultural outcomes. The fear against that created the bounce and the pivot to the extreme other end. And part of what we've struggled with over the last few decades is can there be a gathering of people where people can recognize that there are others who can coach and mentor and lead. And what do you know, five minutes later, the youngest person who just walked in, whether young by age or young by experience, becomes the agency, not just for themselves, but for the collective, because they're able to speak the truth of the moment. So can we be multidextrous enough, trusting enough, open enough, inclusive enough, inclusive in a way that liberates that totalitarian view of postmodernity 
with relativism has been taken to the extreme end such that it doesn't allow for differentiation other than differentiation that is horizontal and is refusing to accept vertical differentiation. That is an important stop situation, an important blockage for developmental communities for all the right and good reasons because of struggles of the past. But for as long as we refuse to enter the collective arena, not just with one person who is a luminary and the community, which is still a model of the past, but with many peoples at many different levels along different lines, with that being a moving shape-shifting diagram and one that attaches no judgment value of what's better than the other, because sometimes the greatest service for the whole is the person able to configure the next new inquiry. That is the unlock. The unlock is in the person that is able to configure the inquiry. Or the unlock is in the person that brings the cry, and the cry is louder than the petition. And because the cry is louder than the petition, someone else can take the energy of the cry and codify it in the language that will frame the inquiry such that it becomes an unlock for the entire collective. So these were the five natures that I observed. We are in a rolling event where we come together with profound shared sentiments to discover that we can become a collective agency where we are being activated at this time. And as part of the activation, we are allowed to recognize and appreciate the sense of different levels and gradients of capacity and capability. Well, thank you, Aviv. That's a phenomenal sweep of what I perceive to be strands that can can weave a strong mixing metaphors container for uh, collective exploration. And I'm eager to put these into practice myself. I'm also really curious then to to zoom in or or focus in, and maybe it's not going going deep so much as it is going, well, you said vertical before, but but really looking up close at, at maybe an hour or so, some portion of the uh, three days, which maybe in microcosm gives us a sense of the whole as well. Well, there was a delicious inquiry that came my way that centered on the idea of leading from the unconscious, which was a response to something that, a recording that I shared earlier with the, before the event, with the participants of the event. And the question simply stated and, and offered, I'm paraphrasing more or less word for word though, it said that the unconscious in us is sometimes more conscious than consciousness. This being the case, there is a curiosity and wonder about when the unconscious is leading the way. Because I proposed that we have entered time where increasingly when we can unleash leading from the unconscious, extraordinarily larger new permissions become possible. And so the question then offered or or asked, is it suggesting that it's when we find ourselves doing something we didn't plan or didn't reason or having arrived somewhere and don't know how we got there? Is that the kind of unconscious or unconsciousness that I was speaking of? And it followed with another question where she asked, My question is, therefore, how do I, how do we let or encourage the unconsciousness to lead, to lead the way, and how do we discover it for ourselves? So that was the question, 
sometimes you get questions that you'd actually pay somebody to, to configure, but it's better that you didn't pay for it because it came from an authentic need. And um, it had that catalytic nature. And so there was a, a two-part response that perhaps I can share with you. The first part was more with, is it indeed like you travel somewhere and you discover that you were where you didn't know how you got there? And to which I said, not quite. There is something about it that is a bit like that, but not quite. And I was caused to look to fine language to articulate something that I've never articulated for myself before. And so this is going to be just the second time I talk about it. And, and the language is still being developed. We, we may very well need to update it. And so I'm going to bring it actually on a slide because just this morning I put a little bit of it on the slide. There was one slide that was generated quickly during the weekend. So I'm now sharing this. And the question we selected for this in-depth hour that emerged on yesterday, actually, midday, centered on the inquiry of mapping the strategies and the technologies of working with different levels of the unconscious. The first thing that occurred to me was the need to make the distinction between what I called an absent unconscious and a present or a presence-full unconscious. And the way those emerged in the moment were in the sense that an absent unconscious is where you find yourself when you're absent from yourself, when you're absent from the sense of what you're about, when you're absent from the sense of being generative about what is meaningful for you, about what you care about. So you are literally floating in the district rudderless with no direction, with no aim, and you therefore can be exposed or can be influenced by anything that will show up in the district, where a present unconscious is the unconscious that is allowed when you have cultivated a specific interest, a specific inquiry, specific committed dedication, whether of a devotional nature or developmental nature or a business nature or entrepreneurial nature or any of the above. And so that's how I frame them in the first place. Absent unconscious receives and is influenced by anything floating in the district. A present or a presenceful unconscious seeds and cultivates a purposeful inquiry search. So then I thought about it and I said, yeah, and we developed it a lot more over the weekend, but this morning I actually added two more layers to this because I recognized that there is the general absent unconscious, but then there is really the subconscious where you'd say that is the part of the unconscious that, where we, that loads with what is suppressed and is disowned. So when we talk about leading from the unconscious, we are not talking about letting that part lead. That part will need to be facilitated and helped in a different way. But I recognized that what I was actually proposing in leading from the unconscious was using the present or presenceful unconscious as a way to tap or access or source the universal unconsciousness and the intelligence streams that are forever available. And those are realms that connect higher sources and bring enhancement and flow states. This is not a linear framework or not a linear loom because if you take the example of Mozart in the way 
he is depicted in the movie Amadeus, obviously, when he was in his element, when he was in his connecting to the unconscious that will allow him to compose angelic music, he became indeed a conduit for the most profound realms of music. But when he was not there, he was a disaster. He was a mess. And I propose that we often find people who became thought leaders and or pathfinders or pioneers of knowledge in a variety of domains. What they do is they, first of all, make sure they are not grounded in an absent unconscious. They are propelled, you are propelled, as you shared with me, by certain permanent inquiries, what I call permanent line inquiries, to a point that they are seeded and cultivated so deeply in your unconscious so that they deliver the next yield, the, the next download, sometime when you are least searching. You may be watching a movie, you may be talking with a friend, bang, because there is actually an active inquiry, the induction occurs. So in that sense, what I'm proposing here, the, we ought to recognize the unconscious as the semi-permeable induction space where from we draw energy and direction. And these below the line represent induction from below. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to qualify it in a minute because below doesn't mean it doesn't, that there isn't important developmental material here. These are inductions from below. These represent the induction from above. Above to mean the greater, vaster potential range of human development, of human evolution, of human intelligence. Below to mean the unworked, unresolved, unprocessed material, individually and collectively, that becomes a blockage until such time as we find a way to reintegrate it and own it and thereby cleanse or become dialytic on it such that it can be reintegrated to be part of the above the line. That's the specifically comment about the subconscious. And then if you begin to look at the lines of work that they each offer, it will, for example, suggest that when we talk about the subconscious, these are the areas where we need to do the shadow work to become forensic. Where do I have a blind spot? Where have I disowned, shun a part of myself or a part of the a bigger picture, because of which, by the way, I myself becomes more brittle, because typically what we disown carries some of the immunity we need, if we can find a way to become dialytic on it, dialytic inside and with, with others. And then some of the work that needs to be done in these, these realms, and there are many modalities, this is just placeholder, all that is to do with trauma work, and all that is to do with healing work. So these are some of the lines of work to be addressed to the subconscious, unconscious, the suppressed and disowned material. The lines of work, or just starter placeholder, there is when one finds oneself wandering aimlessly, rudderlessly, and therefore being exposed to the risk of all those things. Classic current example is Young people that early in the day 
come on Facebook to only discover that three, four, five hours later that they disappeared. They were completely unconscious for three or four hours looking at what other people, their friends are doing on Facebook and becoming increasingly depressed why other people have such wonderfully colorful lives, which they perceive through the lies that other people advertise on their feed and to only wake up four or five years, sometime years as well, but four or five hours later to discover that they were unconscious, literally unconscious at that time. So that's where you bring practices of self-awareness. That's where you bring practices of direction finding, where a person begins to practice, what will I have in my life as the center of my attention and focus? What will I not have? Which feelings, which qualities, which experiences do I want to support in myself because I find that they are nourishing? And which are the experiences and the environments and the people that I find that are not nourishing for me and for my growth and my development? And I will, to the degree, my ability minimize my exposure there. Certainly, purpose discovery work. I used to do a lot of that work when I started working in the corporate arena in the late 90s, early 2000s. I used to take teams on a five-day purpose discovery journey, and they were articulating their core values and their core passion and purpose. And certainly many aspects of development work, all part of, so how do you transform an absent unconscious into a present or a presence-full unconscious? In essence, such that your unconscious can work for you and help you lead as against you become a victim of what's in your unconscious because your unconscious hijacked your higher intentions. Maybe because you were not clear, perhaps because you didn't engage in the practices that will allow you to center yourself with efficacy on what matters most to you. So, and then the recognition that there are starter connective practices and advanced connective practices, and we can spend several weeks just unpacking these. But this slide I just created this morning, we didn't have it yesterday in the meeting. What I did create for the meeting yesterday, which was offered, was this slide. And we didn't have a lot of time. So I said to, in the moment, my question was, choose two of these. This is a loom. So you and I have spoken about looms for a while. This was a loom that was developed. And question from Claire, who asked me this question, or the question to her was, select two of these, and um, we'll spend some time with them. But I'm just curious if first, actually, let me do this. Let me return to the previous slide. Is there anything you'd say here in the first place about this? Because this is, this is the first time I'm talking about it. This is a draft that literally emerged an hour before our call. Well, thank you for sharing it and for being so exquisitely prepared. I love what I see. It definitely sounds the right tones for me. And having a visual such as this makes the decision clear. It illuminates that there's a choice. Now, granted, we're talking about unconscious dynamics, but we can consciously choose to work with our being in ways that uh, transform and transmute that which is below the line. And I don't know if there's a kind of sublimation process where that same energy now is able to function above the line or whether it's more of a relative energizing of these higher capacities and de-energizing the lower capacities. I suspect it's some kind of um, upliftment where 
where really all of the energy becomes available and all of the circuitry of consciousness, well, becomes more available. And um, maybe in the infinite, there's always more. So I want to be mindful of not over speaking. And I also love how this leads into the slide you did present. Mm -hmm. I'm very intrigued by the practices, which I know we'll come to. That let, me could... just, let me just stay there with, the, with what you offered about this, because the point you made is just so critical, a distinction you made. The monkey inside that lives here in the absent unconscious and the subconscious wants to be included. And when we don't include that little monkey inside, it hijacks the proceedings. So we become disassembled and discombobulated because the monkey will do that to us. But so the point you made, exactly right. That's the way I appreciate it. This is where we use our conscious awareness to work for us to engage the greater, more potent, more inclusive, broader in range unconscious. So the, the conscious seeds and facilitates that space. And, and so therefore, what we're literally saying is that consciousness, we can look at, a, at consciousness as a gradient of potential. When Mozart was composing his music, his consciousness was in the divine part of himself where he was in communion with the higher source from which he was, to which, with which it was, he was composing the, the music. When he then departs from that, and he is in the asshole part of himself or the, the monkey part of himself, he is a disaster. The realization, the bottom line, because we are each a product of evolution, we each have the entire bar. One way to think of a development journey is we are practicing increasingly the capacity to become directive, to guide, to facilitate the conscious part of ourselves to learn to surrender to the higher unconscious that becomes available when we connect with those potentials that we call here the intelligence streams. So I, I didn't want to lose the distinction you offered there, that it's the conscious part that works for you in service of the unconscious. Beautiful. And I have to wonder about the word superconscious. So, and... <laughs> so one of the options was to write here super, initially I wrote here super unconscious, but it really is becoming superconscious. So I agree with you. Perhaps the better name here is the superconscious. I didn't write it because I wanted to highlight that this is still an unconscious space. Why superconscious perhaps is right is once you are active in that space, here is the important thing, you become semi or unconscious to the local planetary you because you're in service. You have this beautiful scene in the Amadeus movie, where his wife is coming through the door screaming at him, and, and he is, they got the script right there. Her screams become part of, he's no longer hearing, I mean, he's departing from what he needs to attend to, which is his family, but going along with the metaphor, he is actually transmuting, transmogrifying, transforming the chaotic noise around him to become unconscious to the noise around him so that he becomes superconscious to the melodic composition that is transcending with him. That's a perfect illustration. And I would love to, to dive into the superconscious more, perhaps in another conversation. And it seems to me the practices that you're outlining or identifying um, 
can move us in that direction. I think you are, are you proposing that we do some of it now? Or are you proposing that we do it another time? Oh, I guess I'm flirting with the idea. So shifting into a more functional unconscious with the starter technologies and then the advanced technologies, in my own experience, they do open up, well, in some sense, superpowers, at least powers that we're not as used to working with, superpowers of listening, of intuiting, of really sensing the movements of life. And yeah, I suppose when we're engrossed at that level, we're less aware at others. So that's a really good and helpful distinction. So maybe you could say a bit about the, uh, the starter technologies and the advanced technologies and where they lead. Would you like me to focus on anyone specific or would you like me to uh, try to play simultaneous chess and go box by box and, and try and, and offer a paragraph? The risk in doing that is shrinking too much the significance and the potential of each of the boxes. Well, there is one that stands out to me. I'm inclined to have the survey experience, but the mental bungee jump, for some reason, uh, that leapt out when I first saw this uh, diagram and it continues to kind of shimmy in my awareness. Interesting. Of all the boxes here, that's the one I've actually integrated and is written of in um, the book I've written a few years ago, Create New Futures. And this is something that emerged in my business experience as a consultant. The backstory for it, Jeff, is that when I was in my 20s, I was exposed by a very dear and special teacher to a simple idea that I decided to uh, take to heart. And he said, um, if you orient your system, if you practice in your system the idea of collecting many, many examples, perhaps 3,000 examples, one of the starter technologies, of how dualities and polarities show up in this planetary theater. If you collect many, many examples of the law of three octaves, how everything you look at has this idea of body, mind, and spirit. I know you could say mind and spirit and soul. You could outline different ways of those triadic formations. You could certainly talk about past and present and future and conscious and semi-conscious and unconscious. If you collected many, many examples of this, what you will actually be doing is you will be building, seeding your unconscious with the core patterns of how the universe works. And a bit like the way of the juggler in the circus where if you've seen and they spin many plates and once they, they spin a plate, the, the plate can spin there and hold and he can go and spin the next plate, and he can go and spin the, th- spin the third and the fourth plate. So you could literally get activated in yourself in many different systems because you will see that you have five fingers, and you have five senses, and five extensions to your body. So you are yourself a radio set that has these five extensions to it. And you then go and discover the many other fives. And You research the four and the four seasons and the four elements and four steps or the four stages of a cycle and the four chambers, four parts of the heart and four parts of the four phases of the bloodstream. And you'd find many, many fours. And the more you do these things, you will be activating in yourself something that is not based on the teaching of any human being or any philosophy or any theology. You will literally be printing in yourself the working mechanism, the anatomy of the 
natural principles of how the world works. Because how this world works is it works by complying with these laws. The seasons are there forever. The elements are there forever. I've done that for many years. So when I moved to work in the business arena, I knew that I needed to impose upon my subconscious mind an impossibility. I needed to put myself in a position that I'll experience my back to the wall. I don't recommend it as a strategy for every person, but I essentially said, you will use the mental bungee jump to catalyze in yourself the accelerated production, the accelerated product of what, because I, I waited many years before I moved into the consulting business arena. And now I needed to, in 10 years, do the financial uh, journey of 20 years. And the mental bungee jump was one of the accelerant, accelerating technologies. So over the last 20 years, I've been to hundreds of situations where I'll be either on a coaching phone with conversation with a client or literally be in a room with a group of 12 or 16 or 20 executives. And there is a conversation and somebody would raise an issue or a concern or a problem. And I would hear myself say, now the unconscious is leading. This is why the unconscious is leading. I will hear myself say, well, there are three vectors or three levels to the concern you raised, or there are four dimensions to this challenge, or there are five facets to this opportunity, or there are seven subplot lines to this inquiry, strategic inquiry. And literally, I would say that, and because I said that, I actually produced a promise that I'm about to deliver something I have no idea at that point in time when I make the declaration. That's me making a mental bungee jump, coming out of the deep appreciation that my unconscious is so much smarter than I am, so much more intelligent than I am consciously. And if I put upon it the charge, not always, sometimes I'll fall on my face, but when I'm with a team of executives and they just just so happen to be that they also wrote an, a uh, nice large check for me to be there, <laughs> I better deliver because what's on the line is more than not even losing face, but really the, my credibility is on the line and my contractual arrangement. And so I say that and I walk, literally walk the four or five steps to the flip chart or the board and I draw the three boxes or the four boxes or the seven boxes and I'll give them names. And this is what I shared with you in on another conversation is the loom practice. So I've now created hundreds of frameworks and looms over the last 20 years, maybe five, maybe six, maybe 700. I would say somewhere between 10 to 15% of those were harvested as part of the ongoing practice. Some I come back to here and there. Many were simply purely a situational framing that appeared that was relevant for this situation. So the four levels of listening appeared as a result of a bungee jump that in the meantime evolved to be the fifth and the sixth level of listening. That's the domain listening box next to it. The four stages of adult learning appeared in this way. The three propulsions of great companies appeared in this way. And so much more that is part of my core consulting practice. I essentially launched a mental bungee jump, which was a command instruction to the unconscious 
to release me out of the pain of hitting the ground and actually catch me in the last minute with the cord, with the tethered power of the unconscious. So, yeah, that's interesting that you selected that. That's the most extreme example here. And one I don't necessarily recommend that is the best possible way to do this. I just had so much I needed to do in such a short time. So I selected to uh, develop the mental bungee jump technology. Beautiful. It is one that I can relate to uh, in my experience working and consulting. Uh, there have been numerous occasions that pretty much map to the description that you've given. And I, I've known in the moment, something in me knew the information was there. And for it to, to come up into awareness, a situation was needed that applied the appropriate pressure and incentive. There is a very important realization inherent in this. So and this is where I'm going to re- reveal a little bit more my the deeper causation that leads me, the deeper inquiry. Part of the exhilaration of engaging this practice and the reason to engage this practice for me is not necessarily to impress other people that I'm so whatever, even though it helps when you are producing and needing to lead a consulting strategic innovation practice in the world of business. But there is a deeper impulse in this for me. The deeper impulse is not based in the egoic self. It's not based in showing myself or somebody else that I'm brilliant. It's not about that because, frankly speaking, most of those models after they emerged in the moment could be refined and continue to be refined when I get to it. So I've always recognized these were drafts. But the, the deeper impulse. And I, this to me is circling back to the deeper inquiry about leading with the unconscious is the recognition that the change that we described, the rolling event that is underway, Jeff, the kind of crises that we are now seeing on the world stage, they require our higher capabilities and talents. If we are to solve very complex problems, we will need to make nonlinear exponential leaps. To make nonlinear exponential leaps, we will need to individually and collectively engage the unconscious. It already contains the, the or shall we say here, the superconscious, where the answers and the solutions and the innovations for the individual and the collective and the global and perhaps the galactic problems that are facing humanity, they're all latent there. I see myself still as a beginner practitioner in these spaces, and the joy and the propulsion is to engage and do the mental bungee jump to engage the broader capacity that's available for us. Why do it? To discover that the system is more brilliant than I am. It's not about the discovery that I'm brilliant. It's about discovering that we humans are participant in a system that's more brilliant than us when we are prepared to do the hard work, the preparatory work. So for me, there is there, the mental bungee jump is a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith in the human design and the causing realms, the intelligent realms, the realms of intelligence that we are endowed with and beneficiaries of, and that part of our job, we didn't talk about, I will just quickly, I know we are landing, 
We didn't talk about removing inhibitors within and preventers without. This is a big conversation for us to develop some time. Part of me taking the mental bungee jump is I remove inhibitors within, including the preparedness that I'll embarrass myself sometimes. All right, it's not the end of the world. I can actually embarrass myself and pick myself up and create a better draft. Curiously, the more relaxed you are about embarrassing yourself, the less likelihood that you will embarrass yourself. And by the way, when you embarrass yourself, guess what? It becomes a in service of the whole because it allows other people to feel safe and relaxed to, we're actually doing this in practice and as a discovery journey. And so, but that, that is the, the deeper excitement in this for me. The deeper excitement and release is not discover how brilliant we are, discover how filled with brilliance of the realms we can associate with and that when we come inside a collective there is more of what becomes available that joins us in the process so that's the short version about the mental bungee jump (laughs) great well and also perhaps a key characteristic of your work overall which is creating the conditions for groups to gather for collective intelligence and wisdom and collective unconscious brilliance to manifest. And so I wonder if the collective mental bungee jump is something that would be good to share widely and giving ourselves permission to take the leap right now. There's never been a better time. And recognizing that that life is a rolling event, these times are rolling event of particular import and it's iterative therefore if something doesn't go as planned maybe it's not an embarrassment it's learning as a byproduct of the emergence process and in weaving all of these threads a little bit i'm appreciating ever more fully the work that you have developed uh, over these however many years now since you took your initial leap into consulting at a high level so thank you for sharing today so richly. Yeah, well, thank you, Jeff. And um, to be continued in this research yes. and to yes. be discovered as we plod along, we are about to embark on a new next year, 2021, and it will bring many opportunities for us to practice, to engage in these practices and others. Thank you for listening to Portals of Perception. If you're enjoying these dialogues, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com portals. Visit portalsofperception.org for exclusive content. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.